topic of our discourse uh, this evening is uh, developing observational skills. And certainly today's discourse will closely connect back to the previous discourse given on Monday evening. So in that previous discourse, we covered some, but not all, qualities that mindfulness ideally should possess. Which ones come to your mind? A clear perception of the object, yes, okay. And? What's that? Penetrative mindfulness, mindfulness, yes, a mindfulness that sinks into the object, correct. And anything else? What's that? Immediacy. Immediacy, yes, good. I'm perceiving the whole object. Well, I'm glad. Uh, so you do remember it, a couple of those uh, uh, qualities. What about continuity of mindfulness? Is that of any importance, Madame Fan? Yes? So, as part of the Satipatthana Sutta, we have the synopsis of the instructions, and there it says, Here, O retreatants, a retreatant dwells contemplating the body in the body, ardent, clearly comprehending, and mindful, having removed covetousness and discontent in regard to the world. So we shall continue to elaborate on mindfulness, but certainly this time the emphasis certainly will be on ways to apply that mindfulness. So how do we observe objects? What could we possibly look for? What could we possibly investigate? Now, it is vital for a retreatant in Satipatthana meditation that he or she, at an er- from an early point onwards, develop um, the skill to uh, properly observe certain objects. So to develop the skill, the observational skills. The reason for this is, later on in the practice, formations become what? Grosser and grosser, coarser and coarser, or finer and finer? What would you say? Finer and finer, finer, obviously. And if we have not, from the very beginning, of our meditation practice developed these observational skills, then later on we'll have some major difficulties. Now, the first aspect that is a very fundamental aspect I would like to highlight is that 
of the selection of an object. So you've got a whole number of different objects that suddenly come up in the course of one session, and certainly by which by which criterion do you go in choosing an object? The Emily, that's it. The most predominant object Satna that comes along, and so this Satna then, do we do we observe or do we have any preferences when we select and observe an object, like we? Uh, happily observe only pleasant, agreeable, physical and mental formations, and we say, pains and eggs, um, emotionally charged mental states, that's not for now. We'll set that aside for after the retreat. Is that the approach? Nope. Not at all. So it's a non-preferential selection of uh, the next object of observation, namely by way of the criterion of predominance, or if that doesn't help you, another criterion could be the frequency of an object. If a particular object keeps reoccurring or recurring again and again and again, that object is basically inviting you, you know, to take a closer look at it. It's inviting you, you know, to pay attention to it. Now, when it comes to the selection of an object, what do you do if two or three objects of an more or less equal predominance present themselves? Then you stop practicing. Uh, you pick goodness. Now Doug is saying, pick the first one. Another answer would be you choose. You choose. You, know, you choose the one you know, that suddenly you uh, like. You choose the one that you feel comfortable with. Now, an underlying. Aspect here is that a retreatant label, observe, and know any object moment, certain by moment, but that we keep the mind busy observing something rather than just sitting there and suddenly gazing. Now, the meditation practice unfolds in a surprisingly systematic manner, even predictable manner. And that certainly being the case, already you know, the ancient certain meditators have found certain, certain uh, principles, certain uh, aspects certain that were worth describing and certain then uh, putting into uh, writing. 
Now, during the very first few days of a retreat, among the various aspects that one you know, that the mind could potentially or possibly pay attention to, what comes up first? Which aspect does certainly is our focus certainly on first in regard to objects, any object? The breath, the body, the quality of uh, object. Gross. What's that? Gross. Uh, whether an object is gross, gross or you know, refined, that might be, you know, that's going in the right direction. Still more. Painful, pleasant. Painful, pleasant. Still. By me? Yeah. The experience oh, experiences at the same stores. That would be another possibility. So, the point is that during the early days of a retreat, the focus of our attention is naturally directed towards the specific qualities of an object. So, applied to you know, the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, this means that a retreatant quite naturally you know, starts looking at what is specific to this particular rising movement. And you know, this thing would certainly come in the form of you know, seeing you know, the, you know, the abdomen you know, inflating, you know, seeing it you know, moving uh, outward or moving upward, noticing you know, various, uh, or noticing tension there, or you know, maybe um, some slightly uh, painful aspect, the, uh, noticing details about certain uh, the movement itself. Now, so the focus on the specific quality of an object that then applies also to any other predominant object that comes along, be it physical or mental, in the sitting practice, in the walking practice, and during the general activities. So to phrase it in simple words, it's getting to know you know, the different objects. It's getting to know the who is who, what is what, among all you know, the different objects. Could we say that all paints are the same? Do they come in a standard form? No. So there are clear differences between the first pain and certainly then maybe a second pain and a third pain, etc. And so, you know, during the early days, the focus uh, of certainly the attention is on those specific qualities of an object. So, and with that, learning to you know, then distinguish, oh, here is a burning pain, over there we have a throbbing pain, and again in another place now there is, uh, let's say, a stabbing pain. 
Now, having explored physical as well as certain mental formations to some extent, and with a focus on their specific um, qualities or characteristics, which in the Pani scriptural language is known as Sabawa Lakana. Now, having done this for some time, the focus of the attention changes, and it now um, is geared towards a different aspect. And now we go, or coming from looking at the specific qualities of objects, the focus now is certain uh, on the conditioned characteristic or conditioned uh, qualities of certain objects. The Buddha speaks of fatna, the conditioned characteristic of fatna formations. He says, O retreatants, there are these three characteristics that define the conditioned, namely, what three? An arising is seen, a vanishing is seen, and its alteration while it persists is seen. These are the three characteristics that define the conditioned. So, in simple words, the conditioned characteristic, Sankata Lakana, in the Pani scriptural language, is nothing other than realizing, and or clearly seeing and realizing, that certainly every object has what? Has a, has a beginning, has a middle, during which the object may change, and then it has an end. Can you name any object that does not certainly possess certain these qualities? Hmm? When there are conditioned formations, by way of Buddhist logic, there should must also be the the unconditioned. And if you think of the unconditioned, this means what? And is there a beginning to Nibbana? Is there a middle to Nibbana? There's not. Is there an end to it? There's not. So the Buddha goes on to say, O retreatants, there are these three characteristics that define the unconditioned. What three? No arising is seen, no vanishing is seen, and no alteration while it persists is seen. These are the three characteristics that define the unconditioned. Now, retreatants experience you know, this in, a, in the following way, and I have mentioned you know, this already. 
during the very, very beginning of a retreat, the retreatants tends, or the focus, tends to be on the middle portion of a rising movement, of a falling movement, of any other predominant object. Over time, the focus then gets extended you know, to include not only the middle, but also you know, the ending portion of an object. And having explored that suddenly to some extent, and with an ever-improving mindfulness, the you know, focus becomes even wider you know, to include the beginning of formations. So with that then, you have the middle, the end, plus suddenly the beginning. Now, the Satipatthana uh, Sutta contains instructions that uh, are geared to just that, namely to see the very arising of an object to see its alteration and to see its sudden ending. So this means in practice that when, for instance, a mental state arises, that we clearly see its beginning. When it's present, we see uh, that it's present, we might uh, notice certainly some changes there, and eventually we also see the very dissolution, the end of that particular mental state. Now, this theoretically it sounds quite simple, but when you look at certain retreatants, then mm, there's no difficulty in you know, seeing you know, the beginning, the middle, the end of a physical object. But when it comes to mental states or mental objects, this at first is much more difficult. Retreatants typically will say such and such a mental state is there, but the very arising of it is not really you know, the focus of uh, the attention nor you know, the uh, dissolution of that certain mental state. So something that suddenly you might want to pay attention to on occasion. Now, as suddenly stated, the focus of our attention over time changes, and having explored the condition characteristic of footnote formations to some extent, then you know, the focus changes, and certain uh, a retreatant is likely you know, to explore more and more so what? The? The three characteristics, that is correct. The three characteristics of impermanence, anicca, of, of suffering, dukkha, and of non-self, anatta. And whatever the object might be, one, if one does observe fatna properly, one is likely you know, to 
experience those certain three characteristics in a, a clear-cut manner. Now, when it comes to these uh, three universal characteristics, the best uh, no, a way of experiencing them and the most convincing is not to come from theoretical knowledge, but you know, to see the impermanence of Fertner formations in a very direct, you know, direct way in one's own practice, to see the very unsatisfactory nature of formations in a direct way, and this non-self aspect uh, for that is the same thing. And With the regular net interviews, retreatants then will observe very carefully what's actually happening and will be reporting what they found and suddenly then the aspect of impermanence becomes suddenly very clear. Now, those uh, three characteristics, or sometimes also referred to as the three universal characteristics, concern all you know, conditioned formations, concern you know, physical as well as certain mental formations, without certain exception. In terms of the specific characteristic of Fertner formations, here aspects such as the hardness of an object or its opposite, the softness of an object, solidity, roughness, smoothness might be aspects that are uh, applicable or that uh, describe reality, or we might certainly find that um, there's heat in the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, or we might certainly find there's a cold certain sensation there, warmth, or uh, a sense of uh, a coolness. We might at times also notice motion or its opposite, namely absence of movement. We might at times also notice certain flowing sensations, the oozing of maybe a wound or the flowing of nasal fluids or sweats flowing and certain trickling, etc. Now, these certain various certain aspects in 
the context of you know, the Buddhist study, you know, psychology, you know, then are referred to as certainly or referred to as the four uh, primary elements, namely you know, the earth element, the uh, temperature element, and certainly the uh, wind element and water uh, element. Now, what else could we pay attention to? One very simple aspect is certain, the sitting posture itself, the way the body is sitting there, or in the, uh, the standing in standing meditation preceding a walking session, there too we could certainly take a closer look at how is certainly the body arranged. Now, different possibilities are there. Are, are we always sitting as perfectly as certainly the Buddha statue? No. And certainly at times it might be that the body is slanted one way or another, slouched or sagged or stiff, at times relaxed, at other times still, restless, etc. If on occasion you pay attention to the very way the body is arranged, this may help you to better understand what is going on in the practice. One might just to take this certain thought a little bit further, one might sooner or later even notice a correlation between the predominant mental state at any given point in time and the impact of that, the influence of that on one's sitting posture. So when the mind is overwhelmed by restless, the body will be still. <laughs> so more likely, the body will be restless. Or if the mind is certain of rather depressed, then that depressed state of mind will manifest in the body itself. Now, there are some other very fundamental and certain simple 
observational categories that certainly we could keep in mind when observing predominant objects. One of these categories is simply the time factor. And in this certain regard, different things certainly could certainly happen. Retreatants on occasion report that while they are report, you know, observing one object, let's say mm, the rising movement of the abdomen, and the rising movement hasn't finished yet, another object is coming up, is quite predominant and calling our attention. So what we have at that point is uh, you know, what you might call the overlapping of two formations, or it could be even three formations. So two or three objects that are, to some extent, happening at certain at the same time. Now, it's not going to be like this forever, and. So, with a further maturing of footner practice, retreatants are likely you know, to experience formations in a different way, arranged in a different way. An object arises, you pay attention to it, you know its nature, and it disappears. Only after that object has disappeared, what happens next? A new one arises, that's it. And you then take notice of that certain new object, you label it, you observe it, you know its certain nature, and it passes away. Only after that second object has passed away does a third object arise. In other words, now objects occur in a linear fashion. Earlier on, for a while, they over, might overlap, no, they occur in a linear fashion. Now, with some objects, like the rising movement of the abdomen or falling movement of the abdomen, which includes a movement, it is important that the observing time is well synchronized with the object. So, as soon as the object starts, the observing mind should be right there. And as you know, the abdominal movement unfolds, you know, the observing mind keeps uh, uh, keeps along, you know, or you know, follows, or, or you know, occurs in a, in a very synchronized manner with the object. When the object ends with that, at that point, the observation of that object also ends. So, for you, on occasion, to check whether your observing mind and knowing mind are really in sync with the uh, 
presently arising uh, object. Now still another aspect related to time is the duration of an object. So you experience a great variety of objects but they may differ from one another in terms of their duration. Some objects like an intense pain might be present, might honor you with its presence for an entire sitting session. You may not like it though. And then there are other objects that certainly might last just a couple of minutes or even less than that, just a few seconds or just a few moments. So to pay attention to this duration aspect of an object will give you just another way of describing it, another observational category. Now, As we've seen, mindfulness practice deals with what? The past? The future? Would you agree? Ideally? The present moment. There you go. The Venerable Sadhu Pandita Bhivams of Burma on many occasions has certainly stressed the fact that only the presently arising objects are certain objects. The objects of the future have not arisen yet. All that you have of those is just what? Just the imagination of what could happen. But it's uh, the imagination and uh, no, no, the actual, mm, actual thing uh, are two different certain uh, things. And uh, with objects of the past, the problem there is that they're gone already. All that we have of those objects is just a memory. There you go. And the memory is not necessarily identical with the actual experience. <laughs> now, to say that only objects of the present moment are certain objects includes or implies what in Buddhist psychology has been termed the momentariness of formations. In other words, we're looking at moments of experiences, one moment after another. And so in order to fully grasp and understand the flow of events, of objects, our mind has to be totally, ideally, totally focused onto the present moment and the next present moment and the next moment and so on and so forth. And so on occasion, please check for yourselves whether, when you're observing an object, whether your uh, observational, whether your mind is really in the present moment or not. And reality will be that 
oftentimes we are with an object as it is occurring for a few moments and then what happens? The mind gets lost in thinking. Or the mind gets lost in thinking, the mind gets suddenly lost in uh, thinking about the future planning, or gets lost in memories, or simple uh, imaginations, etc. So that takes you out of the present moment. If you if you notice that much uh, worry, intense worry, is arising, and you don't know how to deal with it, well, then just consider the time aspect. Oftentimes, worries are concerned with something that might happen in the future, but is there a guarantee that it will really happen that way? <coughs> Not always. Oftentimes, certain things happen quite differently from what we imagine. And so, one way of dealing with such a mental state as certain worry is to realize that the whole worry is based on allowing the mind to go into the future and then to stop that and with much patience and determination to bring one's attention back to the present moment over and over and over again. When you do that over a longer period of time, the worry that origin that first was Satna there will lose its basis and Satna will then eventually disappear. Now, another very fundamental and in some ways very simple aspect when it comes to uh, observational categories is certainly the um, location aspect. So the location of an object. When we start out certainly practicing, every physical formation has a location. So there's the pain in the knee, and certainly there may there might be some itching on you know, the face, or um, let's say some throbbing in a big toe, and so on. Now, that certainly seems uh, well quite uh, uh, quite simple. What is so special about this? However, things change, and the location aspect. Is certain? Is this a f- an aspect of ultimate reality, Lin? What would you say? It's not. So, in terms of ultimate reality, the location of an object, of especially of a physical object, is just another concept. Retreatants of footnote practice that already. To some extent, who've gone, who've gained some depth in their practice, will know that sooner or later the location aspect of an object falls away. 
And what remains is just the very sensation, the very physical formation, and that's it. And you can, mm, at times, mm, not attribute a location to that object anymore. Now, with this, does your life end? Do you lose your? Uh, do you lose an important reference point? <laughs> Not really. When this happens, at first it may be quite, uh, quite astonishing, maybe even a bit uh, worrying. What is happening to me? Oh, there's no more location to physical objects, but no need to worry, the mind gets used to it, and all one needs to do is to simply focus on you know, the sensation itself. And now, the location of an object, or the area of it, may be yet another aspect or there's another aspect certain to this, namely, does an object occur only in one spot, and certain then does it disappear in exactly the same spot, or could it be that seemingly the uh, sensation, the object, uh, spreads out over a larger area or moves about in various ways? So this too. On occasion, you might certainly want to uh, check very carefully. Now, we're looking at very, very simple, almost too simple, observational categories. So, this very simple uh, next observational category is certainly that of a multiplicity of encountering a multiplicity of objects and certainly then a little bit later on a retreat and notices and a significant change and there remain only very few objects to be observed. So a multiplicity of objects in the sense that the primary focus of Fatman's attention goes towards that one predominant object, like your rising and falling movement of the abdomen, and seemingly, in a simultaneous certain manner, at the periphery, one is aware of a couple of other objects, or even many other objects. So that's one situation. And maybe to add you know, to this, at that point, the attention tends to be pretty, um, uh, well, ex the attention is somewhat extrovert. With further practice, 
this changes and Sapna once in attention becomes more introvert and at that point the focus of attention is mostly on just a few two three major objects rise and fall and certainly maybe some pain in some predominant mental state and one tends to spend longer periods of time with one object So when you uh, experience that, you know, that transition from you know, first uh, encountering plenty of objects to you know, then uh, encountering only you know, very few objects, that's a major you know, transition and something you know, that we may want to you know, pay attention to. There are times in the meditation practice when a lot of development is happening within one single sitting session or within one single walking session. And experiences occur in a pretty, or might occur in a pretty systematic manner. At that point, it's very useful to pay close attention to the sequence of events. So, which or what is your first major object? You spend some time with that, things change, a new next most predominant object comes up, you pay attention to that, and so on and so forth. Paying attention to you know, the sequence of major experiences that may be extremely helpful you know, to recognize what is happening in one's practice and uh, um, the direction of you know, things. Now, some other aspects, categories, or observational categories to consider on occasion would be the density of an object. At first, the physical objects that certainly we observe might certainly be rather solid. However, over a period of a longer time, we might find that the same object becomes fluffy, becomes even airy, and is almost like a cloud, becomes almost immaterial. Earlier on, one of you mentioned the 
uh, grossness of certain formations as, and one could certainly then add to this, as opposed you know, to the refinement or yeah, the refinement of formations. Meditation practice in general, but this is certainly really generally speaking, moves from working with coarse, gross objects at first, and certainly then moving towards more and more refined objects. Then, what about certain paying attention to pairs of opposites at times? Opposites certain such as certain the heaviness of certain the body versus the lightness of certain the body, or in terms of certain mental states, a state of unhappiness versus happiness, or a state of joy versus certain misery, or maybe movements of the body versus the stillness of the body. There can be many, many such pairs of opposites occurring. Now, on occasion, it is our identification with objects, our entanglement or involvement in an object that certainly prevents a real professional observation of that object and knowing of its certain nature. Opposed to this would be to observe predominant objects with a certain inner detachment or a certain distance, not getting all caught up in the object. So on occasion, please do check very carefully how much you are identified with the object, how much, to which extent uh, you are entangled in uh, the object. If that is the case, you are heavily entangled in an object, then try uh, to uh, gain some inner uh, distance. Now, Already in the previous discourse on mind qualities of mindfulness on Monday, one aspect highlighted was the continuity of it. And on occasion when you observe a predominant object, do check whether your mindfulness is really all that continues from moment to moment or could it be, as Sapna one retreatant reported just this morning during the interviews, 
that um, at first you know, the you know, mindfulness was there, and then there was one moment of uh, you know, absent-minded, absent-mindedness. Then you know, the observation continued, and yet another moment of uh, you know, absent-mindedness. Now, when we look at certain our experiences, on occasion we might certainly want to check whether we are experiencing or having the same experiences every day day in and out for an entire month. And if you find that this is the case, then how would you evaluate your own practice? I know you shouldn't be, but... Uh, then you know, the practice would be it would be good, um, justified to say it's static or it's pretty stagnant. Now, a long time ago, there was a, a retreatant in an um, Asian country at a meditation center who interview after interview gave exactly the same report. No differences whatsoever, and this for weeks, and so the person was happy you know, with it, was pleased, was suddenly you know, thought uh, that he was doing a good job, but suddenly uh, that's not really you know, the case. So do on occasion check whether uh, your practice is really unfolding or not, and either way, just uh, acknowledge. Now. Still, another observational category that we could pay attention to on occasion, namely the presence or absence of a sense of self. So when we observe an object like, let's say, like a pleasant the mental state of great certain calmness. And in the mind we refer to it as my calmness. So obviously you know, then a sense of self is certainly involved. That's one you know, situation. On the other hand, there could be the same wonderful calmness, yet you know, a retreatant is much more the professional retreatant and suddenly observes that calmness without any sense of a self or ego. In the course of one's sadhana satipatthana practice, when observing really carefully what is happening moment by moment, one might notice with regard to any predominant object, 
at first maybe it's just the sensation just the object that is there gradually a sense of self comes in and with continued observation sooner or later the sense of self might fall away again in other words you might see the very forming and unforming of the notion of a self in regard to that object now There, allow me to elaborate or, or to expand a little bit by saying a few words about certain pains, how to best observe painful sensations and certain difficult mental, mental states. So in terms of pains, there is a great number of different pains of, uh, around, mm, ranging from uh, your piercing pain to uh, stabbing pains to shooting pains, so throbbing, burning, stinging pains, tearing, cutting, pricking, and certain poking or even pounding pains. <laughs> Can you tick off the list for yourself? <laughs> and certainly then those pains may come in various degrees of intensity. The intensity might range from a very mild pain to a dull pain, and then on to an acute, intense, or even sharp pain to an excruciating and unbearable pain. So right there, um, one observational category would be the intensity of the pain. As we've discussed or as explained early on in the discourse, we might further pay attention to the location of the pain or to its duration. We could certainly further check very care or observe very carefully how is certainly the pain doing in terms of its arising and certainly its alteration and its certain vanishing. Do we see that those certain three aspects very clearly or not? Now, in particular, around certain pains, it's the mental attitude with which we observe plays a crucial role. If our attitude is not quite certain right, then we might bring unnecessary suffering onto ourselves. So rather 
you know, then seeing a pain or some you know, difficult, challenging physical or you know, mental you know, formation as an enemy and trying to you know, get rid of it as quickly as possible, rather than you know, taking such an unfriendly attitude, it's much wiser you know, to you know, simply accept a pain you know, as another valid object of observation and certainly then you know, to work with it uh, in a friendly uh, way. Now, this can be um, taken even to you know, a point where you see a pain as your friend. Why might a pain be your friend? It helps you focus, yes, mindfulness, what else? It keeps you awake, yes, good point, indeed. It reveals the truth of Vatna uh, Dukkha, yes, correct. And uh, working with an intense pain helps to develop which mental factor? Concentration, there you go. So when you have a strong you know, pain and earlier on your mind was somewhat agitated, you know, then working with the pain you know, will help you know, the mind you know, to you know, become unified and certain with that, certain, it's certain then uh, it gains concentration. And to have a concentrated mind, of course, is certainly helpful. Now, Around certain pains and certain aches and difficult mental states, on occasion, retreatants might certainly think, well, it's only me who's experiencing these challenging formations. But it might be Mm, it might be useful you know, to consider that you're not the only one you know, to experience these challenging formations, but already your you know, fellow you know, retreatant to you know, the side in front or behind you, you know, will sooner or later also come across intense pains. And therefore, it's nothing uh, unique that you're experiencing there. You're not the only one who's suffering, just no other people are in a similar you know, situation. And that's a, a reflection that might help you, you know, to uh, you know, move ahead. Now, when working with a pain, much could happen there. There's much uh, you know, that could be observed. It's not that certain pain is always just a solid certain sensation and uh, never changing. If our you know, mindful our practice certain deepens, mindfulness gets certain stronger and stronger, concentration improves, wisdom you know, deepens with that. Gradually, we will see that even the most solid pain will gradually start to break up into bits and pieces. And when you focus on one such certain piece, even that might be seen as breaking up further. There might further be 
the uh, develop or, or the changing of a pain. So first you start certain with a rock solid certain pain. Over time it breaks up. It might certainly turn into a burning pain, so a different kind of pain. And certainly then you want to follow this as best as you can. This can be very fascinating at certain times. Now, still more, or when it comes to wandering mind, as one particular object of observation, there too, there's so many different kinds of wandering mind, so many different aspects, but. Uh, we'll keep that for some other uh, uh, Dhamma talk. Allow me to conclude today's certain discourse on uh, developing observational skills by wishing made what has been explained be useful to you. May you implement this into your or in your practice and certainly with this become really professional retreatants, experts in the observation of physical and mental condition, physical and mental formations and ultimately may you realize the unconditioned which has neither an arising nor a vanishing and no alteration. And this is for this is it for the talk. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.